This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. He says, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the question I ask you this morning is, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? If He does, then you are of the redeemed. If He does not, then you are lost. His promise is, and the declaration is, and the firmness of the statement is, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not of His. As Pastor David continues through the book of Romans, he will be exhorting us to examine our hearts to see whether the Spirit of God dwells in us or not. If the Spirit of Christ who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then that same power can raise you out of your sinful life. It is this realization that we must understand in order to overcome sin. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you will live. Living in the flesh will bring you spiritual death. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 2, with our continuing study entitled, Walking in the Spirit. Now you could take, like I said, the first class in the business out, fill it with all of those people, but I don't think you want to take first class out, because when you look at first class at the Aerobus, it's pretty plush. It's very, very nice. Now, there's only 16 seats in this particular layout that the Aero bus has, but it's very, very nice. You know what? When we look at all of this, we look at the, the, uh, the Aero bus, the, the size, the dynamics of it. One of the other things you need to understand, that this plane is huge. It's monstrous. It's 240 feet long. Now, a couple of weeks ago, they played the Super Bowl in a stadium that from goalpost to goalpost was, what, 300 feet long, 100 yards, 300 feet. That plane could sit barely in there with just a few feet on, on each end of it. But you know what? It wouldn't be able to fit in the, in the stadium itself because the wingspan of that plane is 261 and a half feet wide, a bit wider than it is long. It's monstrous. It takes 20 wheels on the landing gear for this thing to be able to land. And when it has full takeoff capacity or full weight, it takes 9,000 feet to get this baby up in the air. Now, that's almost two miles, folks. It's huge. How can it outdo the law of gravity? Because it has thrust because it has lift, and it can outdo the law of gravity. When we look at that, the thrust that it has, it has four Rolls-Royce engines, and those Rolls-Royce engines get about 80,000 pounds of thrust apiece. So it is powerful enough, and it's designed as such to be able to outdo the law of gravity. But let me ask you this, church. Does it delete the law of gravity? No. Does it do away with the law of gravity? No, the law of gravity is still there. And in the same way, the law of the spirit of life outdoes the law of sin and death. Does not do away with it. The law is still there. The law of God still remains. It does not change. But Christ came and fulfilled the law in order that we might have the power, that thrust, 
to be able to outdo that law of sin and death in our lives. And for you and I to live under the law of the Spirit, we're able to soar above the destruction and the death that the law would bring to our lives in the flesh. And I don't know about you, but I'd just soon fly first class even in this flight that we're going in, this flight of grace. There's not very many fly first class in that one, and I think that that's a lot like the church today. I don't think that there's very many believers who are flying first class in our walk of faith, in the walk of grace. Most of us are flying economy, and some, unfortunately, are just down in the cargo hold. They're not enjoying the flight at all, but they're going to get there. God wants you to be able to enjoy this walk of faith. God wants you to enjoy and to know the victory that's yours in the law of the Spirit that He comes and brings to you. In verse 3, He speaks about, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Do you see now how and where that phrase would fit in? In verse 4, it speaks about this righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's not because we're walking by the Spirit, but it's the fact that we are. He says that this righteous requirement is done because we are of those who do not walk according to the flesh. We're of those who walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit of God within us. And he goes to drive that home even further as we continue on. In verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And we're going to talk about this idea of death a little bit here in a moment. But when we look at this, he says, to be carnally minded is death. This isn't the death of, again, the separation of our redeemedness. We're not going to lose the redemption. What this is, the death of the joy, death of the fellowship, death of the very presence of the working of God in our life. We lose that when we become carnally minded. We look at what he says here, and even in verse 7 and 8, it says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a twofold thing here. Outside of Christ, there's no way that I'm going to please God. I cannot do enough good works that God is going to be pleased with me. I have to come by faith to receive Christ. But even you and I, when we are redeemed, if we're walking in the flesh, if we're obeying the flesh... We can't please God in the midst of that either. God is pleased and God is delighted when you and I are walking in fellowship and in harmony and in obedience to Him. He may bring correction. He may bring even discipline into the life of the redeemed in order to bring us back into that obedience. Because there are times in our lives that we will fall. I'm reminded of the story that uh, I've heard long ago. The temptation is like the idea of birds flying overhead. You and I can't keep the birds from flying over our heads. 
But this one thing we can do, we can keep them from building a nest in our hair. We don't have to allow them the opportunity to stop and plant within our lives. Temptation is going to come into every life. On a continual basis, our flesh, the world, the enemy of our souls, comes and brings temptation to us. What you do with that temptation is the difference between being in obedience and being in the will of God and not being in the will of God. If you allow that temptation to nest within your lives, beloved, that's where sin comes in. Now he goes on here in verse 9. He says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You need to understand this verse 9 is probably the key passage of chapter 8. Because again, this is the dividing mark that speaks about those who are redeemed versus those who are lost. He says, You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the question I ask you this morning is, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? If He does, then you are of the redeemed. If He does not, then you are lost. His promise is, and the declaration is, and the firmness of the statement is, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not of His. You're either redeemed or you're lost. Either the Spirit of God dwells within you or He does not. And He dwells in you by faith in the completed work of Christ. And He does not dwell in you if you've never come to that point. No matter how many good works, how many good deeds, no matter what you do. In verse 10, He speaks, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you understand the power of this verse? It's the very power of the resurrection that's working in your life and in mine. That if God is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, which He was then He's powerful enough to work within your life, to give you life, to work in your life, to be pleasing to Him, to work in your life, those things that are going to honor Him, to work in your life, obedience, when we are simply submitted to Him. Beloved, God has the power to do that in your life. Are you willing to submit your life to Him? He raised Jesus from the dead. Do you think working and moving and bringing life into your mortal body is any big deal for him? He can do that. And it's the hope of that. It's the understanding of that that's going to give you and I strength in our lives. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. I'm not a debtor to the flesh, but I am a debtor. I am a debtor to the grace of God and the love of God. I owe my life to God because of His great love for me. He sent Christ to die for me in order that I might live in Him. I am a debtor to that. But what do I owe the flesh? I don't owe the flesh. Zip. Zilch. Nada. I owe it nothing. And yet it keeps coming back to me. It says, hey, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? I owe the flesh nothing. It's Christ who has accomplished all things in my life. 
And I need to understand that. And that's the love that needs to drive my life to obedience and my desire to be pleasing to my king. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And again, beloved, looking at it in the context of all that he says there, he's not saying you're becoming unredeemed. He does not say that the redeemed will be lost, but there will be death that will enter into your life. Death of the joy, death of the fellowship, death of the power, death of the working of God and the plan of God in your life. Because if you and I continue to live our lives in disobedience, God will not come down and with puppet strings work and force and move you to be obedient to him. Oh, he may bring correction. He may bring instruction. He may bring discipline. But he will not force you to be obedient. And they'll be literally the walking dead. Oh, I'm born again, but I have absolutely no joy. I'm born again, but I have no power in my life. I'm born again, but I have no presence, the feeling of God in my life. If you've come by faith to Christ, and yet you don't walk in obedience to Him, you are the saddest creature of all creation. Because it seems that there is almost a greater hope for those who are lost than even for that one who knows Christ and yet continues to live a life in disobedience. How would there be a hope? Because at least that one who is lost can be found. But if you continue to deny the work of the Holy Spirit and that wooing and the calling of your spirit, the rest of your life you live without that power. You live without that knowledge. Saved, though as by fire, is what the Scripture speaks about. Beloved, within each heart and life of every believer, there is this eternal fight that goes on. The flesh against the Spirit The spirit against the flesh. That battle is going on, working over and over daily within your life. Who's going to win that battle today? Will it be the spirit in your life or will it be the flesh in your life? It reminds me of a story, an old proverb or something that I heard long, long ago, where the man says that within me there are two dogs that battle. There's the good dog and there's the bad dog. And you know what? It's the dog that I feed that will win. The dog that I feed will win. And in the same way, that battle of the flesh and the spirit within you, the one that you feed will win. If you're continually feeding your life in the flesh, if you're continually involved in the things of the world and the fleshly nature, then guess who's going to win in your life? Guess who you're going to look like? Are you going to look like your father in heaven? No. You're going to look like a child of the world. You're going to look like the lost. But if you're continually feeding the things of the Spirit, if you're within your word, if you're spending time with prayer, if you're in the fellowship with other believers, if you're living your life in obedience and you're feeding the spiritual man within you, then he will continually be victorious in your life because the because sin no longer has dominion over you. Paul gave us that. We understand that sin no longer has dominion. And the only time that it gets the upper hand is when we continue to feed the flesh. But if we don't feed the flesh, we start seeing the victory of Christ in our life. That's why we can look and we can read these words in verse 14 where it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. Father, 
You're a child of God when you come by faith to receive Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity that is. What a great blessing that is to be able to come into the very household of faith, to know God not simply as creator and judge. No, now he becomes my father. And the sweetness and the endearment of that statement that says, Abba, Father. It's a statement, it's a word that you can even hear today over in Israel as small children go running to their fathers and they cry out, Abba, Abba. It's an Aramaic saying that simply says, Daddy. That term of endearment that speaks of the closeness of relationship. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and I. That we can run into his presence without fear, without trembling, without that, that, that thought that, oh, he's, he's going to smack me again because of my sin. No, he wants us to run to him just as our Abba Father, as our Daddy. What young child just learning to say, ride a bicycle, or even going younger, learning to walk, and they fall, they stumble, and they they hurt themselves. What young child would then, after they hurt themselves, go running away from their father? They ought to run, turn and run to him, cry, Daddy, Daddy, I've hurt myself. I've hurt myself. How you and I, as believers, need to have that same kind of attitude in our walk in Christ. That as we walk, as we stumble, as we fall, rather than staying away from our daddy, we would turn and run to him. Father, I've hurt myself. Know the sweetness of his love toward us. The care that he has to restore us, to strengthen us, to equip us, to empower us then, to be able to continue on in our journey. John understood this when he writes in John, 1 John chapter 3. He says, Oh, beloved, now we are the children of God. What a blessedness that is. But he goes on and continues. He says, And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then verse 3 is is, is the thing that kind of pulls this all together. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Beloved, we are the children of God if you've come by faith to Christ. You are a child of God and you need to understand the richness and the sweetness, the power of that, the blessedness of that. The hope that's in that. Because when you understand the hope that's in that, your desire is to purify yourself. Your desire is to be like your dad. Your desire is to live in a way that's going to honor him. Your desire is going to be to pursue in your life righteousness. And when John says, if you have that hope in you, you're going to want to purify yourself because your father is pure. You're going to want to live a life that glorifies him rather than glorifying the flesh and falling back in to the attitudes, the actions, and the comments of the flesh. We ended up here in verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God.
And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We're back on the courtroom scene again, and a witness is brought out on our defense, and that witness is the Holy Spirit of God, and he declares, no, he is the child of God, the very seal, the very uh, down payment that God gave us. That seal of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes in as our witness that we are the child of God. But it's not even just Him. He corroborates that witness with our spirit. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Beloved, what a great witness and testimony that is. On the witness of two, on the testimony of two witnesses, that declaration is made that you are His child. How do I know that I'm a child of God? Is it because I come to church a lot? Is it because I read the Bible on a regular basis? Do I know that I'm his child because I try to do good? Do I know that I'm his child because I'm doing good actions and different things? Do I know that I'm his child even because years ago I prayed the prayer on the back of that little pamphlet and it said if you pray this prayer, you'll become a child of God? Do I know that I'm born again because I can remember the day that I knelt and prayed with that pastor to receive Christ in my life? Is that how I know that I'm a child of God? No, that's not how you know that you're a child of God. The way that you know that you're a child of God is when the Spirit of God bears witness with your spirit that you are his child. You see, as a lost man... I can mimic words on the back of a pamphlet. As a lost man, I can kneel down with a pastor and I can mimic his prayer and I can get up just as lost as I was when I knelt down. I can read the Word of God and miss everything that's in it. I can go to church service after church service after church service and it ends up being nothing in my life. It's not until I know that the Spirit of God is abiding with me that, again, the very Spirit of God bearing witness with my spirit that I am his child. And will he do that? that even when I stumble and when I fall? Oh, yes, he will. And you who know Christ know that assurance that even in our stumblings, even in our failings, the Spirit of God woos us back to himself, woos us and draws us back to him, just like the father who would receive a toddler who has stumbled and hurt himself would come and literally wrap his arms around him and encourage him, and bless him. So your heavenly Father delights to be your encouragement, delights to be in your life, your strength, your completeness, your all. Because you can't do it on your own. You'll never be able to do it on your own. It's by the strength of the Spirit of God working and moving in your life that you and I live lives that give glory and honor to our great King. And that is the place of sanctification in our lives. That's the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you don't know that in your life this morning, beloved, my desire for you is that you would come to that understanding. First of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever come by faith really to receive him into your life? Or do you think that I just turned over a new leaf? I'm just trying to do good and therefore God's going to be pleased. No, he says you've got to come by faith to trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. And until that point, you're still in the camp of the lost. 
You might be a good lost person. You might be a moral lost person, but you are a lost person. And that is the case for all of eternity until you come by faith to receive Jesus Christ. When you come to receive by faith Jesus Christ in your life, do you now live and are you now living a life that brings glory and honor to your king because you're just pressing into him. You're just in love with him and you want to please him because you know him as your father. You desire to be pure because you know that he is pure and you're going to live a life to please him because of the greatness of his love. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at TheOpenWordRadio. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. 